0: The Alaska Powerline Podcast is generously supported by GenPAC. As a stocking electric utility distributor, GenPAC has been taking care of customers in the Pacific Northwest since 1965. With a strong customer focus and dedicated sales staff, they have built lasting relationships by providing quality products with value-added services. Now with a new Anchorage warehouse and a dedicated Alaska sales and support team, GenPAC is ready to take care of their Alaska customers for years to come. Visit them at www.genpack.com for more information. Genpack, taking care of our customers since 1965. Welcome to Alaska Powerline, the podcast of Alaska Power Association, the statewide trade association for electric utilities in Alaska. On Alaska Powerline, we talk about issues facing Alaska's electric utilities, interview a wide range of guests, and demystify what it takes to provide power in the last frontier. Welcome back to the Alaska Powerline podcast. I'm Michael Revito, Deputy Director of Alaska Power Association, and we're happy to have you back on the pod today. Uh, Clean energy generation, including renewables, is growing fast around the country, and that includes in the Arctic. And we're excited today to be joined by Tom Atkinson, CEO of Kotzebue Electric Association, to learn about what this Arctic co-op is doing with renewables. So, Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I appreciate uh, the chance to share what we're doing up here. Awesome, awesome.
0: So, Kotzebue Electric Association, is it, if if I'm remembering correctly, Kotzebue is 22 miles above the Arctic Circle?
1: Well, it depends on who you ask. Uh, Most people say it's 31 miles uh, above the Arctic Circle.
0: Okay, I, sh- I shaved a few miles off there, so, uh, but we're gonna go with, with your answer first. Um, tell us a little bit about about Kotzebue for people who might not know where it is or kind of, or who, who have never been there or seen photos of it. What's Kotzebue like?
1: Well, uh, we're on the northwest coast of Alaska. Uh, I ask most people if they know where Nome is and if they can at least visualize that. I just tell them to go 350 miles north and you're there, at Kotzebue, and, and, and uh, we're- a uh, geographically isolated uh, community of about 3,200 people. Uh, And, uh, you know, we uh, serve the people in this community.
0: And I've I've been fortunate to um, visit Cotsview many times with Alaska Power Association and visit the co-op up there. And I have to say from my own uh, experience, it's not only a beautiful place, but the people there are are warm and friendly. And for some reason, I tend to visit in the middle of winter, which – Most people, when they go to the Arctic, they try to, I guess, go up there in the summer. But for me, the wintertime is always cool too. And not, I mean, not cool, but cold in the wintertime, but um, it's a great place to visit. So Kotzebue, of course, is is not only isolated off the road system, but it's electronically isolated as well, correct? You are not connected to any other uh, electric utility, right?
1: No transmission lines, roads, or anything else coming into here. Uh, We are isolated in a lot of different ways. Uh, but still find ways to keep connected.
0: And so from an energy standpoint, historically, how has Cotsubu Electric Association generated the power that, that serves the area there?
1: well uh it's been diesel generation uh, for a, a number of years uh, until uh, the late 90s when uh, we first started in renewables with uh wind uh, experimenting with some wind turbines down in the wales area and uh, then we developed our own wind turbines in cotzebutte a wind farm that is about eight miles outside of town uh, and uh, we started out with the smaller uh, one hundred uh, kW uh, wind turbines and in two thousand and twelve we uh, moved to the uh, two larger uh, nine hundred kilowatt wind turbines
0: and I just from being there, I know that it gets quite windy in and around Koabbu and so was that kind of i mean did, did you did the did the co-op do a lot of testing of the wind speed or did folks just know that that wind resource was there and that the the wind turbines would most likely work.
1: If you live here, you know the wind blows a lot. There are no trees in Cotsview. Uh, The topography is relatively flat, and uh, there's really nothing to stop the wind. Uh, So um, I I think it was pretty much a given that that was a natural resource that we had that uh, we should be able to use in a positive way.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit real quick before we get... Too deep into renewables, though. About the diesel generation, because Kotzebue is is pretty far flung from anywhere else, and like you said, there's no roads to get there, and so the only way to get goods in the town is flying them or bringing them on a barge uh, on the water. What what are some challenges with relying on diesel fuel beyond just you know the the price fluctuations? But what are some of the logistical challenges of getting that fuel there to Kotzebue?
1: Well, there's only three months out of the year that the water's not frozen uh, or in in the area here where barges can actually come in. Uh, And uh, even though they're able to come in, Uh, The uh, water in Kotzebue Sound and surrounding the town is relatively shallow and doesn't give uh, opportunity for the barge itself, which is a deep graft vessel, uh, to come in and offload uh, the fuel. Uh, So it has to be sent in in smaller boats, uh, transferred onto smaller boats, which come here and then offload it, and that greatly increases the price Uh, of the fuel as it comes into here so limited amount of time uh, that we can even get the barges in here and it is a logistic struggle once the barges are even here uh, to get the fuel into town
0: and have there been instances in the past where there's been um trouble maybe an early freeze up or something of getting fuel barges or fuel supplies into kotzebue uh
1: not so I know of I mean we're always pretty good with that uh, three month window and as long as the uh, boats are up here and I I don't know of a time in recent history where we've uh, had struggles getting the fuel and it's just very uh, logistically challenging and because it's challenging that makes it very expensive.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. And if there's one thing I know um, folks who live in rural Alaska are good at, it's getting things to town when they need to get there and, and knowing when the seasons are coming and when the windows are. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, renewable energy up in Kotzebue. It's it's definitely growing by leaps and bounds, but where did it all start? What Why did Kotzebue Electric Association go down the road of integrating renewables to their generation mix? Well,
1: I think we've always seen that uh, relying on uh, Diesel fuel uh, is uh, always subject to, uh, you know, great costs and uh, difficulties in terms of. Uh, getting it here. And uh, I think people up here realize that the more that you can develop a resource that you can use locally and depend on it, uh, the better off you are. Uh, it gives more reliable uh, energy and more sustainability to uh, the energy needs of the community. Uh, so I think that was probably the driving force in us beginning to take a look at that. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, we began back in the 90s uh, experimenting down in Wales uh, with uh, some wind turbines and uh, that project worked out well. And then we took the next step and uh, developed uh, small wind turbines up here uh, back uh, in the uh, late 90s and like I said, moved to larger wind turbines in uh, 2012.
0: Now, we talked a little bit about the, the challenges of bringing in diesel fuel, but what sort of challenges are posed to an Arctic co-op like yourself getting wind turbines to cost you and, and getting them out into the tundra? I mean, that's got to be a logistical challenge too, right?
1: Oh, very much so. Um, yeah. And uh, the vendor that we're... Dealing with uh, is uh, based out of the Netherlands, and that's great because uh, those folks have experience with wind energy going back to uh, the windmills. Uh, and uh, but uh, you know, getting the wind turbines here uh, was. Uh, Again, very logistically challenging. Again, that same narrow window, uh, they had to be bought up here in the summertime when the barges could get them here, but yet you couldn't install them until the wintertime when the ground froze enough for it to be stable enough to uh, go ahead and tilt them up. Uh, One of the largest logistical challenges with the wind turbines is uh, we don't have a crane that's... uh, tall enough to be able to tip up a wind turbine of that size here. Uh, So again, we've got to coordinate with an outside contractor uh, who uh, basically goes up and down uh, the coast of Alaska doing these types of projects uh, in the summertime. Uh, So they have to leave that, they have to schedule the, crane to be here over the winter because we can't again go back out there to do this until the winter. So you have to bring the crane up in the summertime, leave it here in the winter and then tip up your winter binds and then it has to go back the next year. That is one of the most expensive parts of the uh, project is just getting the crane and having it here for that length of time to be able to complete the project.
0: Yeah, I can. I'm, I'm envisioning, you know, uh, getting a massive crane to and from Kotzebue with the ways that um, stuff like that has to travel in rural Alaska. And just to clarify, so the the winter, obviously, the the ground is is frozen solid out there. But the the problem with doing construction in the summer, especially with heavy equipment, is that the the ground gets quite squishy, right, and quite almost wetlandish, right. So that it seems like that stuff would just sink into the ground if you tried it in the summertime
1: exactly uh the tundra is basically a a giant sponge of uh, organic matter uh, and nothing is solid until you hit the permafrost underneath it Uh, so taking equipment out onto the tundra uh, in uh, the summertime is uh, problematic if not impossible uh, to do so you
0: get the turbines up and, and they're out there. And how did, I mean, did they run like the co-op thought they would? Did they provide all the, the energy that, that uh, was planned to be run out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been pretty successful with that part of it. You know, periodically we may have uh, issues with uh, some of the uh the electrical components or uh, mechanical components of the wind turbine itself. And we have had times where they've been down for a while and we had to work to get a fix on those. Uh, But uh, in general, uh, they have done really well in helping us uh, displace the amount of diesel we would normally have to uh, burn uh, to generate electricity. Uh, In 2000, uh, t- uh 2022 we were able to displace uh over 400,000 gallons of diesel that we would normally burn uh with wind energy so uh they've been very successful uh in helping us uh provide our own source of consistent power
0: yeah that's that's really great congratulations on that i know that the um, displacement of diesel is a is a big goal of a, of all of our rural utilities in uh, in APA's membership, and they're they're accomplishing that in different ways. Let's turn now to to solar, because Cosby Electric Association has been putting a lot of solar panels out there amidst the the wind farm, so to speak, out out in the tundra. So, what what are you doing with solar up there?
1: Uh, with solar, uh, we've been uh, working on that for uh, quite some time. Uh, our first. Uh, our Phase one of our solar farm went up in uh, 2020 with about five hundred kilowatts uh, of uh, power. Uh, and uh, that uh, phase one was successful and integrated into our power grid here power grid here along with the wind. Uh, and uh, just uh, this summer recently here we have uh, completed phase two with another five hundred kilowatts uh, of solar power, uh, and uh, we now have a full uh, one megawatt uh, of solar power available to the community.
0: Now, I'm going to go ahead and address the elephant in the room, because I know that somebody who might not be familiar with Alaska or the Arctic is going to bring it up. They're going to say, wait a second, solar in the Arctic? How does that work? Isn't it dark up there all the time? But in fact, it's, it's, it's quite useful up there in terms of the sunshine. So how do, how does that work in the Arctic environment?
1: well from about uh, march through let's say october is probably the prime time uh for uh, solar and of course uh, you know we all know we have some very short days in the winter uh december the shortest uh day is about uh, three hours of sunlight uh and it is limited you know during the uh Coldest part of winters, but in early spring we start to, to see uh, the solar panels really produce uh, sunlight. I uh, mean power uh, from the sunlight, uh, and uh, we have made uh, use of uh, bifacial solar panels. That means that they can collect light from both sides, so they not only get the light coming down from above, but the light the uh, uh, coming off of the snow as well. And anybody who has uh, been out and about in the Arctic in the winter on a sunny day knows how bright it can be. Uh, So starting in March, uh, we get that, which is multiplied from the reflection off of the snow And, uh, of course, uh, later on into the spring and summer, uh, we get the longer hours of daylight. uh, And uh, this time of year, as I speak to you now, it's uh, pretty much light 24-7. So uh, this is prime time for uh, solar energy. And, of course, you know, that'll tail off uh, around October uh, but uh, the wind blows pretty consistently and even more so in the winter time. Uh, so the wind energy and the solar energy complemented each other uh, as you know wind blows more in the winter time, uh, and uh, it sun shines more in the uh, spring and summer around here. So uh, that those two things combined together, give us a consistent source of power. Uh, if the sun's not shining, the wind is always blowing.
0: Yeah, I know it's always a good idea to uh, pack a good pair of sunglasses if you're going out on a sunny day in the winter, especially up in the Arctic, because you can go snow blind pretty darn quick. And and I've definitely been uh, privileged to be stuck in Costa View a time or two with uh, a windstorm that has blown in off the Arctic in the uh, in the winter time up there. It's always an adventure. Now, what about batteries? You see batteries uh, systems cropping up. There's, you know, large ones that are um, being installed in the rail belt electric system here down in South Central. But what is Kotzebue Electric Association doing in terms of batteries and and how are you using them?
1: Uh, Good question, uh, because, uh, you know, when you have things like solar and wind, uh, you know, uh, you feed those into the grid, but there may be times like in the evening Uh, when you don't have the demand or the need for that, uh, you know, and you don't want that energy resource to go to waste. So uh, that's where batteries come in. Uh, And uh, we started off with batteries uh, many years ago and have been developing them. And uh, we uh, currently Uh, have a battery which allows us to store uh, some energy that would otherwise be wasted, but we've also been uh, pursuing another strategy with the excess uh, wind energy uh, and uh, taking that energy and uh, going ahead and uh, supplying electricity to electric boilers in commercial facilities like the hospital, where we're now working on a project with the city of Kotzebue uh, in the new water treatment plant where we can go ahead and supply wind power to electric boilers, which they can use to create heat that they would normally have to use electricity for. Uh, but we also do have grants in now. Uh, we are applying for two more uh, wind turbines, uh, both uh, uh, one megawatt wind turbines, uh, which will be uh, increase our uh, capacity for wind power it will double it uh, from what we have now Uh, and uh, we are going to need larger batteries to help us store that excess wind energy so uh, a battery and renewable energy system is uh, crucial and uh, we're working on growing our capacity for that now.
0: Yeah, sounds like definitely a, a community wide benefit. I mean that the co-op is part of the community, but if you can, like you said, sell that that wind power to, you know, other entities like the hospital or other community facilities, that's that's beneficial as well. So what what does what has a successful day looked like up there with your renewables? Because I've I've heard that there's been days where your renewable energy is um producing quite a lot of electricity have you had any sort of really days that you say this is this is a success and this is why we're doing this
1: well we had a milestone uh day uh just about a year ago uh this time where we were running the town on 100 percent renewable energy and that's our goal Uh, And uh, right now we're still at the point where we're at about 30% renewable energy versus uh, 70% uh, diesel generation. Uh, But with the advent of the two new wind turbines uh, we're trying to secure funding for, that will get us to 50 to 60% renewable energy. And that's really the tipping point uh, for getting closer uh, to that uh, 100% renewable energy. And the last 40% uh, is gonna have to be some type of a more consistent renewable energy uh, source like micro uh, micronuclear or hydrogen. And those are both options we're exploring now.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I mean, there's you know renewable energy like solar and wind is is intermittent, and so the sun's not always shining, the wind's not always blowing. So how do you how do you regulate that? I mean, you have to have your diesel plant, I guess, on standby standby and ready to go to fill that gap right now if that renewable power falls off. Correct.
1: Correct, and uh, it's set up now that. Uh, you know uh, our diesel generators are going to run until we uh, get enough power supplied from the wind or solar and then they'll turn off uh, when we kick up the renewables and start back up again should uh, the need arise uh, for them to uh, go ahead and take over where the renewables are are are, are not uh, running at the what what they would normally be to be able to supply power
0: and, and that leads me to my next question, which you touched on a little bit, is kind of what's what's the future plans for all this? what Where do you where does the uh, the co-op want to go with renewable energy or, or batteries? What do you see this the future?
1: Well, our goal was to get to one hundred percent renewables. Uh, and uh, you know that's not a goal that's unobtainable. Uh, some communities in Alaska are uh, very close to that right now. Uh, And uh, there are communities, admittedly, that uh, have uh, hydroelectricity, which is uh, somewhat more of a reliable, renewable energy source. Uh, But, uh, you know, we are are looking to uh, truly uh, take uh, advantage of the newest technologies uh, that are coming up uh, and uh, be able to work with that uh, to be able to get to 100%. As I mentioned, uh, you know, micronuclear is uh, becoming more and more of a reality. Uh, We're working with vendors on that. And uh, also hydrogen power is also another thing that we'll be looking at uh, as possibly supplying that last piece that we need of renewables uh, to get to 100%.
0: Yeah, and, and one of the other aspects of um, diminishing the, the amount of diesel that you use is, I guess, a consistent cost of power because I know diesel price fluctuates um, throughout time. And so if, you, if you're lowering your reliance on diesel, I guess, then you're lowering that risk from those diesel uh, cost fluctuations, correct? Yes. Uh, in uh,
1: 2022, uh, everyone knows there was a, a very large spike in, uh, in uh, diesel prices. Uh, and uh, that really hurt our community in a lot of different ways. Uh, so we definitely want to uh, get away from that. Uh, we've been able to negotiate a little bit better pricing for 2023, uh, but you never know uh, when that next shoe is going to drop and uh, you'll be in a bad position again because of diesel pricing. Uh, so we're definitely uh, looking at that. Uh, and to take the one step further, you know beyond you know electrical rates, uh one of the biggest utility costs that uh, people in our community have is just heating their homes uh and uh in many homes where they're using uh primarily uh oil-fired heat uh their uh cost to heat their homes can exceed uh the amount uh, of the rent or the mortgage that they pay uh and uh, that's probably the most economically damaging uh, to our community. Our uh, current goal with the two new wind turbines that are being added is to uh, go ahead and use electrical benefication to go ahead and, and install home heating devices that are uh, electrically powered uh, that will heat homes. We have a pilot project with uh, ASEP uh, through the University of Alaska Fairbanks uh which uh is uh, doing a pilot program uh to test these devices in people's homes uh, to gauge the efficiency of that uh, if that study works well uh, then we'll use something like these devices that they have, which are basically uh, a box with uh, bricks or ceramic tiles in it that are heated by electricity, and then a fan blows through it to to create heat in the home. Uh, Or we have regions that have installed heat pumps so whether it's a supplemental power or something that can take over for the oil fired power our goal is to use the latest round of wind energy that we have to actually help people with the largest utility costs that they have which is heating their homes
0: yeah, that's a really good point. And, and, you know, the economic impact of energy cost is is a big um, concern in a lot of places. And Kotzebue is, is a hub community to a lot of the outlying villages, kind of up down the Kobuk River, up the Noatak. Can you talk a little bit about how, if, you know, lowering the cost of power in Kotzebue and then also keeping, you know, getting rid of that volatility you get from diesel generation, how does that help the overall economies of the outlying area and the people that may come to or through Kotzebue?
1: Well, first just to back up a little bit in an indirect way, um, we have helped a lot of the communities uh, in the region uh, move forward with their own renewable energy projects. Uh, You know, we were the first ones to do it. And uh, most of them have followed suit with either wind or solar power and uh, in just about every village in the region. So that's very gratifying to see that the big step that we took out in uh, you know, figuring out this technology has benefited uh, the other communities in the region. Uh, and uh, the aspect of, Kotzebue is a hub supporting the entire region. And yes, it's very accurate because all of the goods for this region come through Kotzebue. Uh, and uh, if we can lower the cost of energy here, uh, that lowers the cost of goods uh, and that helps the entire region. Uh, and, uh, you know, it also helps uh, in that this is a uh, entry and exit point for the entire region. You can't get to any place else in the region without going through Kotzebue. so people often utilize uh, cots of View, uh to uh, travel, uh, and they also uses it use it for services like medical. Uh, so, as uh, yes, they come in and access goods and services, uh, the more that we can help with reducing the cost of power here, it has an effect on the entire region.
0: And it's an amazing process as as technology has come to where the place where it is, and even some um, technologies that have yet to really come to mass market. You mentioned micronuclear and, and hydrogen. It seems like there's a, a bright future in terms of clean energy for Cosby Electric Association.
1: It does. Uh, there's certainly a lot of uh, obstacles and hoops to jump through in getting there. Uh, one of those is uh, just accessing the funding that you need. There's a lot of money coming out uh, of uh, federal sources right now, uh, but it's not always as easy as you might think to be able to do that. Uh, Sometimes dealing uh, with the uh, federal entities that you need to to get this funding uh, can be complex and challenging and uh, is difficult uh, for us as well as many other smaller communities. Uh, So uh, if we had an ask of... uh, you know, uh, working with uh, federal entities to help us in furthering this, it would just to be to try to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, so to speak, to where it's easier for uh, communities like ours and other smaller communities uh, to be able to uh, get through the gauntlet uh, of uh, things that you have to do to be able to have access uh, to funding and uh, really, Really, we're not asking for a handout, Uh, we're just asking uh, for a hand up. Uh, We have been doing a lot of this on our own and a good thing to mention is that uh, we have funded a lot of projects ourselves and one of our biggest partners has been nana and the northwest arctic borough uh, and they have used a lot of the funds uh from the red dog mine to help us uh with some of our energy projects and i always say that's that's uh, kind of a a strange partnership that uh, mining interests has helped with renewables, uh, but it's something that has worked here. We don't all share the same interests, but we do share the same goal of making life sustainable up here. Uh, so that's a big part of the story. We have helped ourselves in a lot of different ways. And if we can just get a little bit more help from uh, you know, uh, federal resources and also state resources, we can do that. And we've also done a lot with state resources like the state's Renewable Energy Fund has been helpful. Uh, just in this last project, phase two uh, of uh, our uh, solar project uh, was a renewable energy fund through the state of Alaska. Uh, projects. So uh, we're very proud of that. Uh, But yeah, the obstacles are uh, continue to be uh, how do you get the funding to continue to move forward with what you need to do to become sustainable so you aren't reliant uh, on outside sources uh, to continually supply you with what you need.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good message, uh, I think, to wrap up on it. It definitely takes a community effort and there's a lot of different players that have to come together. And I like that move the cookies to the bottom shelf. I'm going to start using that in my own uh, my own conversations. Well, Tom, in just in just a minute we have left here, I got to know it's it's July 27th. Um, What is the weather like today in Kotzebuehl?
1: Well, actually, uh, well, it's just July, and that's middle of the summer for most people. Uh, We feel like uh, summer just started about a week ago when we uh, started seeing temperatures that actually broke uh, the 60-degree mark uh most of the summer uh prior to this has been in the 40 and 50 degree mark uh, so it never uh, gets really warm up here it's a scorching hot day once we get over 60 to the folks that live up here uh and uh so uh to see days in the 70s or even 80s are are very very rare uh even in the summertime up here well
0: that's that's life in arctic alaska so tom thanks a lot for for joining us today we really enjoyed talking to you thanks for being on the podcast.
1: All right. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure.
0: We've been talking with Tom Atkinson, the CEO of Kotzebue Electric Association. This is the Alaska Powerline Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.